Have you ever wanted to see for yourself what the Bible has to say? Well, you've come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marsis, and Vicar Jason Com, as we explore the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, provide you some landmarks and guideposts along the way. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures, episode 51, Fighting False Teachers. As we uh, come together today, well, my name is Pastor Tom Marsis. I'm the senior pastor at Zion Lutheran Church. And along with us, we have Vicar uh, Jason Kahn and last year's vicar, uh, Aiden Moon, who helped us get started with Trek Through the Scriptures. Uh, we have both of them with us today as we go through that. And uh, before we get started a little bit, Aiden, why don't you just talk a little bit about what your final year at the seminary has been like uh, and describe for the people what it's like going back after being a year out and then back in school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been uh, busy, but it's actually kind of coming to a nice, nice rest for a little while. Um, I won't have any classes from basically right before Christmas all the way until the end of January. So I have a little bit of a rest before I dive into my last semester, but it's been really good to be back. Um, it's been really good to get back into the community, reconnect, um, especially good to process Vicarage with a lot of my friends and, and colleagues here. So that's been very positive, had some really solid classes um, diving in, getting to return to my own studies and be on the other end of that again. Uh, it is sort of a strange, sharp, um, when you leave just doing ministry actively. And then you're back in a classroom. It takes a little bit of time getting used to. So my first few weeks back in the classroom, I was like trying to remember how to do school again. Um, but it's kind of back into a rhythm again with all the, all the reading and all the papers. And I've had a chance to dive into some stuff I'm pretty interested in. And I feel like kind of get, get things ready. And then of course, in the middle of that all, there's the the future and uh, thinking about what's coming next. And there's various things on the process and interviews and conversations happening about preparing for first call. So we're all having those conversations as well. And uh, that's been exciting um, to think about what's next and have some of those uh, conversations with classmates and professors and all of those kind of things as well. So that's been really good. Um, it'll be good to be out doing the job again, I will say. Uh, that's one of those things, uh, <laughs> coming back is sort of strange. It's, it's good. And it's sort of coming, coming back to school with a good perspective because you've been out in it for a little while. So, um, but it'll be, it'll be a good to be back out in the field. Excellent. Well, we're glad to have you with us again. And as the members and people that are listening to know, we have Vicar Com and we have Seminarian uh, Moon with us since he's no longer vicar, now seminarian, soon to be candidate, by the way, uh, about the end of April, he'll be candidate. So we remember that as well. Well, let's dive into our text this week. Well, we're going to be looking at Second Peter, Jude, First, Second, Third John, and getting started on the book of Revelation. Uh, next week's entire podcast will be based on Revelation as we draw to a close on our trek through the Scripture. And so we're going to get started here with uh, getting into Second Peter. Now remember that First Peter deals with threats of persecution, and that impacted what Peter was talking about, remembering that Peter's writing style is a little bit different uh, than uh 
some of the other uh, disciples that had written, uh, such as Luke, who was a physician with a much bigger uh, vocabulary and word structure. But nevertheless, Peter was dealing with uh, threats of persecution in 1 Peter. Here in 2 Peter, he's dealing with threats of false teachings. And there was some really interesting, uh, different kind of false teachings going on at this time. So I hope that you all have realized through our trek to the scriptures at this point that building the early church was not easy. It was a heck of a process. We see it in Paul's epistles. Just because he visited a place and established a church there didn't mean that they had it all figured out right away. And so he often had to reach out to people and correct them for living in wrong ways. Um, And I've said this a few times in Bible class already, but false teaching is really important because it's expressed immediately in false living. And we want to address that so that we're actually like living the way that God wants us to. And so there are two sort of areas of misconduct that Peter is addressing in his second epistle here. The first is uh, people who were kind of acting like libertines. And by that, we mean that they were learning about God's grace and making the connection, oh, well, if God just forgives me for everything, then I could do whatever I want, right? That sounds pretty good. Um, but that gives us a license to sin, and that's very wrong and not at all what God wants us to do. And then there were some others out there that kind of fall under what we would call an antinomian party. Um, That basically means that because Jesus has freed us from the law, God's law, which Paul talks about in some of his epistles, that must mean that the law is bad and it doesn't really matter anymore, right? So again, we can kind of just do whatever we want apart from God's law. But Peter corrects them and says, no, that's also wrong. Um, These points of view, uh, first, they miss the point of the gospel, in that Christ frees us from sin, not to sin on more. Yes, we have forgiveness for whatever we do, but that doesn't mean that we can just go off and do whatever we want now as free Christians. Um, And this is also deeply relevant today. I think there are still lots of people out there that would kind of take advantage of God's grace like this and not understand that, oh, well, even after I've been redeemed from all my sins, God still calls me to a holy life. And so Peter is making this connection here, that genuine and faith in the Lord and a holy life, they can't be separated. They they go together. We see this in uh, chapter two of of First Peter. There's he gives a very straightforward picture of what it means to live in the middle of a society that is very inconsistent with being Christian. So you have this. It's very very clear in verse eleven. He urges them to. Um, as foreigners and exiles abstain from sinful desire. So he's kind of recognizing that there's this tension and conflict between the world around them and the different temptations that are going to be there and what their, their identity actually is, as he says right before that, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So you're freed not just from from uh, sin either, but you're freed to live as part of a new community, as a new kingdom. You have a new boss, so to speak. Um, you're under new lordship. And that can kind of help us out because I think sometimes we think of just the, oh, I'm forgiven. But what does it mean that you're forgiven? Well, it means you're out from under the devil. You're out from under the powers of darkness in the world. And that means that they don't get to boss you around anymore. That's what true freedom is, is then living into the will of God um, and getting to live actually in a better way, even though that's kind of hard in a world that always is trying to pull you the opposite direction. And so it's actually not freedom. If you're constantly just doing whatever your sinful desires want you to do, um, you'll get sucked further and further into uh, a really destructive patterns of life that actually are bad for you. Well, and we are uh, 
posting this during the Advent season, and it co- talks about the second coming of the King. So it's kind of fitting because Second Peter also covers the second coming of Christ. Uh, suddenly, like the flood in Noah's day, I mean, everybody always wonders, when is it going to happen? How do we know? We have people trying to predict when it is or isn't going to happen. And destruction by fire, not water. The result, a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so it's kind of fitting that we're posting this during the Advent season and the opportunity to be reminded that the king, the king will return. Well, with that in mind, let's move on to Jude. And Jude was written uh, by one of Christ's servant, not an apostle, the brother of James. Uh, We don't know the specific audience that he wrote to. Of course, that's uh, with Paul's letters. We generally knew what uh, town or congregation or area of congregations was being written to, but we're really not sure exactly who he was writing to. And there's really some interesting non-canonical or non-biblical sources that are referenced here. Yeah, I got lost in the weeds during my research on this one, so bear with me for just a little bit. Um, and this is fitting because we've also uh, we've recently released our podcast episode on the Apocrypha. And so if you want a refresher on uh, Pastor Marcus and I talking about non-canonical sources, I encourage you to look at that as well. But there are two non-canonical references in Jude that are not biblical, and I think they're really interesting. The first, um, in verse 14, is of the book of Enoch. Uh, Enoch, for those of you that don't know, which is, you know, all of us, myself included, that is Noah's great-grandfather. So all the way back toward the beginning of Genesis here, this is apparently a book that he had written, preserved in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the other reference is in this work called The Assumption of Moses in verse 9, which is basically uh, his last will and testament to Joshua. And it includes this dispute between Michael, the archangel, and Satan over where Moses's dead body was going to be buried, which Jude references this. Um, now we know from the very end of Deuteronomy that uh, that Moses is buried in a special place by God, that he kind of tucked him away somewhere secret. We don't know where he ended up. But apparently there's more to the story um, that was recorded in this assumption of Moses. But it's not biblical, so we wouldn't confess this to be of the Word of God. And yet here we have two very clear instances of this being referenced in the Word of God. So what is what does citing these sources actually mean? Um, does it mean that we should treat the Book of Enoch and the Assumption of Moses as God's Word too? Uh, well, not quite. So Jude, he doesn't regard these as canonical scripture, so we don't have to worry about that being a part of God's Word. But there are false teachers out there that are using these in their own teachings, and so he kind of brings them up to sort of uh, turn the tables on them. And this isn't the first time that stuff like this happens in the scriptures. Um, there are non-canonical sources referenced a few times, actually. Paul is guilty of doing this. Sometimes he will reference these heathen poets, um, so like actually well-known Greek poets of the day, to illustrate a truth about God. Um, the clearest example I could find on this is in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. There's this poem that he references uh, from, I'm going to try and get these names right, Epimenides and Aratus. Um, and so he mentions these poems, but he ties what they talk about to God himself. So it's these works that these pagans have written, and yet he takes them because the people are familiar with these words, and he ties them into who God is. And so that's kind of the same deal that's happening with Jude here. And so from what we can take away with this, the content that he's referencing here, Jude, uh, 
it's, it is, you know, it's true, but not the works that they're from necessarily. So we shouldn't try and go find these works and, uh, claim that they're like the lost bits of God's word. So I thought it would be good to kind of clear the air on that. Um, you might've just like skipped over it in your own reading. Um, but the references are there and I thought, oh, we should all know what to do with those. Right. Well, and we think in our own world, we've got lots of, you know, helpful or unhelpful literature and stories and kind of cultural myths that, you know, we can draw on and use as examples or use to illustrate points. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean if, if, uh, you know, if a pastor in a sermon references a movie, it doesn't necessarily mean he's, you know, condoning everything that's in that movie or what it entails, or even it's, central point even he can just be pulling something out to to kind of make a connection for people and you see this all over the place in in uh, the preaching of the early apostles too and even when we get to revelation you see some things there where there's these big kind of symbolic visionary images that don't really mean anything to us right off the bat. Uh, but for, for those scholars who can go back and kind of dig into the cultural context, you should realize, Oh, these are, these are familiar images. These are actually coming from the kind of God, God is using in these, some of the popular myth and legend and these powerful images to sort of illustrate in really important truths. So you can kind of think of it in that same way as sermon illustrations or uh, using, using some sort of pop culture. I mean, that's kind of a, a weird way to say it, but sort of the pop culture of their own day. Well, very much so. I mean, I think that we think that we're the only ones that have pop culture and those kind of things because of media and the like, but trust me, they had those as well. We had the classical stories, the Iliad and the Odyssey. I mean, obviously that's out there as well. And other uh, philosophers of the day and so forth. So clearly uh, people were impacted, not in the same way that social media and media is today, but nevertheless impacted as well. Well, as we draw to a close here in Jude, we had also ends with a beautiful doxology. And I think that uh, you'll find that as you're reading through that, it's a, it's interesting to note how different books and different authors end in different ways, but it ends with a beautiful doxology. Well, the next one is a set of books, actually, the three epistles of John, John 1, 2, and 3. Uh, we understand that they are written by the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, likely sent to the congregations of Asia Minor. And remember, there's a lot of various Christian congregations in that way. And first John addresses false teachers by proclaiming three particular truths. And one of and one of those is one that we are celebrating shortly here, and that would be the incarnation of Christ. Uh, God in the flesh, who died for our sins, uh, the sins of all human beings. And the incarnation is something we talk about a lot during the Advent season, uh, during the Christmas season, God in the flesh living and dwelling among us. Well, we see this, I mean, John is obviously fond of this subject. We see this right at the beginning of his gospel. Um, he gives us this sort of uh, metaphysical, spiritual creation story of the word being before all things and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, this is like foundational for us. That's often a Christmas text. And uh, it's the sort of the cool spiritual Christmas story, um, not the uh, baby in the manger quite so much. He gives us more of the behind the scenes uh, before creation. But then this comes into his letters as well. And we'll see in the book of Revelation. That's pretty big uh, and significant there as well. So this is a... I love First John. It's a there's so much packed into this just 
relatively short little letter. So it's a good one. And uh, you'll see, if you were to go back and look at John's gospel, you'll see a lot of the same themes, themes like light and darkness, um, God's love. It's a huge one. John really goes after the theme of God's love. So you'll see see some of those same same kind of themes. John also talks about how we, as Christians, we are actually strangers in an alien world. Not in the sense that, well, we're just kind of like exclusively waiting for God to beam us up, um, but we're actually called still to live here in this alien world, even though our citizenship is in heaven. Like the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. It's kind of like this alien invasion that's happened and we're a part of it. Um, now, John doesn't really talk about it like that. Um, but that is a connection that, <laughs> that I have made in my own study on this. And so do with that as you will. <laughs> well, I think it's helpful for us as there's, there's sort of a, a paradox that shows up throughout the New Testament. And it's not just in John, but is this reality that this is truly our home in some sense and that we're created beings. Uh, God made humans from the dust. There's a, a way in which we are, are made to dwell on the earth. But at the same time, in our baptism, we are made new and we're, we're kind of, even before we die. So even now, because we're baptized into Christ, we share in his resurrection in that we're sort of these representatives of, yeah, an alien world, a, a totally different way of being. Um, and so we are waiting. There's an a- aspect of, of sort of the, the not yet, but we also already get to represent Jesus and represent this, this sort of new way of, of seeing things. And that's pretty cool. Well, it's really interesting because as you're reading through the trek through the scriptures, especially uh, as Gaden and I were doing the podcast on the Old Testament, there's a lot of sections that you've read that you probably have had very little connection to. Uh, There was a lot of sections as we were preaching and having our Sunday morning services, uh, preaching on texts that we really do not normally preach on on Sunday morning. And no doubt many of you, as you are doing your trek through the scriptures, have not had a lot of connection to Second John, Third John. Uh, you might know that they're there. You may have memorized some song about the New Testament and the books of the Bible, so you know they're in there, uh, but not necessarily be real close to them. And what's really interesting, as we've talked about letters, uh, especially with the Apostle Paul, his epistles and his letters, that these letters are written to uh, specific people that we can figure out who they are. And so that uh, kind of changes perspective a little bit to understand that John is writing to a person, not a specific congregation. Uh, and that is also interesting as you're reading it and impacts your understanding of what's being written there. Yeah, so Second John seems to be written to a woman named that he calls the elect lady and her children. So it's kind of this woman's family. And that's really all we know about that. And then Third John is written specifically to a guy named Gaius. And uh, the name Gaius, that was pretty common back in uh, the New Testament days. So I think uh, there's there's like a couple Gaiuses that are mentioned in Acts. I don't know if it's the same one, um, but again, super common name. So all we know is that John has this connection to this guy. Um, and both are a little similar. Both epistles are somewhat similar. They commend walking in the truth and living rightly according to the will of God. And they also condemn deceivers of the truth. So they come down pretty hard on people that try to mislead others, whether they are intentional or unaware about it. Um, and both are both are harmful. And so you'll probably never see second or third John, as Pastor Mars has mentioned, addressed in church, um, because there are other parts in the Bible that address what they do just kind of better, you could say, and that are just more well-known. Um, 
And so I, I'd kind of be shocked if anyone's ever, you know, heard a sermon on Second John or heard a reading from Third John in church before. And that doesn't mean we should just dismiss them because they don't matter. Um, but they're just sort of these tucked away sections of the Bible that several people probably don't know about. So we hope that by reading these, you'll be somewhat enriched um, by looking over these and knowing, oh yeah, these are here. Um, and they, they teach good stuff. Well, now the point of warning, uh, remembering who God is and what he does affects our entire existence. Isn't that something that we've really seen throughout uh, the scriptures as we've gone through this trek through the scriptures, both in the Old and New Testament? Uh, we remember back uh, Moses at the burning bush, I am who I am. We talked about God's personal name and how the Israelites were so careful as to not mispronounce it or misuse it that they wouldn't even speak his personal name. Uh, so, uh, there is these important understanding of who God is and how who he is impacts who we are in Christ Jesus. Well, now we've gotten to the last book of the Bible. And it's interesting that uh, 12 months ago, uh, Aiden and I began this journey with you on the podcast as we did this, starting with Genesis. Um, and we're getting to the very last book of the Bible. And what's very interesting uh, for the last book of the Bible it's one of those books that is very difficult. We're going to have a lot of things, as uh, both Aiden and Jason would say, we're going to get into the weeds a little bit at times. Uh, but what's very interesting, how often people say, well, let's do a Bible study. Let's talk about Revelation. Um, I remember that when I was on my vicarage, uh, we did an entire uh, 11 months on the book of Revelation. Every Wednesday morning at 7 o'clock, we did a study on the book of Revelation. Uh, very good study, by the way. I mean, we used some material by uh, Omar Stunkel, a uh, very uh, big name in the church back in the day. He was the longtime president of Concordia, Milwaukee, which is now uh, Concordia Mequon, a very good study. I learned a lot for sure, uh, but it is a very difficult book. Uh, we encourage you to read it slowly, um, to have a good study Bible there with you as you do that. Uh, and as we pointed out, the Gospel of John, uh, the epistles, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, all written by the same John. And uh, with the writing of Revelation, he's exiled on the island of Patmos. Um, and there, it's all due to his ministry and the sharing of the gospel. And remember that John is the only one of the disciples who was not martyred for the faith. That's interesting. I've, I've been in a class this semester on John's gospel, but Revelation tends to come up as well as we're talking through that, because as we've said, John has uh, a group of books. And one of the things I, I have, uh, Dr. Bruce Shuckard is my professor at this point, and, and he will contend that um, John wrote all of his books very near to the end of his life. And he makes a pretty convincing argument for that. And I'm, I'm relatively convinced of that as well, even though there's different opinions about that. But one of the things that, that he points out is that John was the last apostle because he was the only one who wasn't martyred. And so all the books that John wrote, so we've covered the, the three John letters and then earlier that you, you've covered the gospel. Um, but Revelation in that perspective, sort of sets off this vision, which gives John new perspective, which then sparks him to write his kind of last will and testament, his own last witness 
as I am the last of the apostles, here's, I'm going to fill in the last gaps that need to be filled in. And so if you take all three with that kind of in mind, you actually do see a lot of those common themes, like I mentioned with the light and darkness and the love themes in John. Um, so so there's, a, there's a bunch of that. And it's kind of interesting to think about those books all kind of coming together, that John has this amazing vision, and then he looks back into his life and looks back into the time he spent with Jesus and that's where his his writings come from is from this per- perspective of having had this amazing vision. And so with a book like Revelation, this is where earlier this year when we cover the Old Testament prophets together, this is where that stuff is finally paying off for us um, in 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 reading Revelation, uh, especially like uh, some of these apocalyptic type imageries that Isaiah and Joel and Ezekiel and Daniel and especially Zechariah. Um, I was kind of amazed in studying Zechariah at the seminary at how similar it is to Revelation. And so if you'd like to kind of go to the basis of those strange visions of like these different colored horsemen and like, what are all these bulls for? I don't understand. And why do the angels care so much about them? Then Zechariah is a really great place um, to reference for that. And so if you're kind of stuck on Revelation, you might want to turn back um, and do some digging. And if you've got a study Bible, it will probably give you some passages from these Old Testament prophets that you can look over that could tell you more about what the heck is going on. Uh, but someone, I was having a conversation with someone in college about Revelation once, and he advised me to think of reading Revelation kind of like stepping into a dream. You know how when you're dreaming something, everything inside the dream makes complete and total sense? Like I could be like, I don't know, gambling with someone while surfing this gigantic 20-foot wave. And at the time, as I'm dreaming it, I'm thinking, yes, I'm supposed to be here. This is what I'm doing. And everything makes complete sense. But then I wake up afterwards and I'm like, what was that? What just happened? So kind of thinking of Revelation as this, this dream sequence, this vision where everything's happening kind of the way it's supposed to in the vision. Um, and it makes total sense while you're dreaming. But then kind of when you look at it from reality's perspective, it could just be so jarring. Like, how could a person see such things? Um, and so I encourage you to, as you're reading through Revelation, think of it as stepping inside of one of John's dreams. And we know that God frequently communicated with his people through dreams, um, especially people like the prophets. So this is nothing new that's going on, um, but it just seems like such a strange way to end um the Bible, but it's also very fitting considering kind of the overall themes, which we'll get into in just a little bit. As I was finishing up, I was going through the prophets and sort of thinking about that similar imagery is helpful, especially because we might not have the sort of in-depth connection to the Old Testament prophets that the people of of Jesus' time and the people that were in these kind of synagogue-grounded churches in John's time even did. But this was so foundational to their kind of imagination of how they saw the world. And that's really what an apocalyptic uh, kind of book does. Revelation and apocalypse actually mean the same thing. Um, They're sort of these synonymous words that both get at kind of seeing behind the curtain, a visionary experience. And so it's, it's basically allowing you to see what's really going on. And using sort of this crazy imaginative, hard to understand and interpret stuff, but it's actually harder for us to interpret because we're separated by so much time. Um, and so it's, it's helpful to recognize that this actually would have meant something um, to the people who are originally reading it from John. And so uh, we can, it's not just sort of some 
bizarre, strange, impossible to interpret book that we can't find some answers to. Well, and that also leads to the fact that there's a lot of misconceptions. And so not necessarily everything we're going to be talking about is this is means this and this means that. But to understand, let's get away from some of the misconceptions. And part of those as we get started is, yes, Revelation is difficult to understand, but just because it's difficult does not mean that we shouldn't read it or look into it. So uh, it's not wrong that this is part of our trek through the scriptures. It's not wrong for us to have a Bible study. It's not wrong to delve into it. And the other thing is, uh, which is very interesting, is that it. so many people think it's going to predict what happens in secular history around us. Uh, when I was uh, growing up back in the 70s, uh, the late great planet Earth was the big thing. And using Revelation to come up what's going to happen in Russia and Israel and the Middle East and so forth. And, uh, you know, it was a hot topic. Everybody had to read the late great planet Earth. And yet... Um, uh, so that, that is really something that we really need to, you know, let's be careful about trying to read into it and not let it say what it needs to say. I think one of the most helpful things that I've found for that is actually to recognize that it's not just a vision. It's also a, uh, it's also intended by John to be read publicly in these churches. And it's a letter actually. Um, from the beginning, we see that it's actually written to people in John's time. So it's intended for this intended audience. And so, yeah, this is crazy. It's using bizarre language. It's so much different than, say, Paul's letters, which just read like completely differently than it does. But at the same time, it still needs to be read in its context, just like we've talked about all year. Um, when you read the letters from Paul, you have to recognize, okay, what was going on at this church? What were the things that they were dealing with? What was going on in the world around them? All those kind of things. And Revelation, that's true too. Um, it's not written directly to us. It is for us because it's for the whole church, but it was first written to specific people living in a specific time in a specific place. And only through kind of recognizing that, then we can take the next step to learn the lessons that we can learn, um, to learn the kind of big picture things that Revelation has to teach us. One of the things I find really interesting, and you've heard me say often uh, throughout these podcasts, is that God is a God of history. He works in and through history. And what that means is God is in control of history. We seem to like to think that we're in control or the government's in control or this country's in control. God is the one who's in control of the history. And we see it now, the time and place of his choosing that he sent Jesus to be born in Bethlehem and to have the apostle Paul spread the good news. God uses history for his purpose, not necessarily our purpose. And that he also keeps a watchful eye on us. I mean, uh, even when there's trouble in the church, God is still the one in charge. The pastor's not in charge. Uh, the leaders of the congregation aren't in charge. We are merely servants in his kingdom, that he's ultimately the one that's watching over his people and protecting us. And then ultimately, as we get into this, we're going to see the final victory of Christ, which is hidden now, but will one day be obviously become very clear to all people. Uh, and we're drawing to a close here. Um, the great thing is that next week we're going to really finish up Revelation, finish up our trek through the scriptures. I hope that this has been very helpful having uh, Seminarian Moon with us today and uh, Vicar Com or Dot Com, as some of you know him as. Uh, but we're really, it's been uh, great having both of them with us uh, today. And we're looking forward to next week uh, drawing our trek through the scriptures to a close. 
but also be reminded that uh, this is not the end of our uh, journey, so to speak. We're going to be starting a new journey in January uh, with podcasting and worship services, Bible studies and the like, and we'll be uh, giving you more information on that as well. Well, I hope that this has been helpful for you, and we hope to be able to share with you next week some more good news of the gospel as we see it in the book of Revelation, as we draw to a close in our journey this past year in 2022 of Track through the scriptures. Lord's blessings. Thanks for joining us on our Trek Through the Scriptures this week. This podcast is a ministry of Zion Lutheran Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. To contact us, learn more, or for more resources on our journey this year, please visit zionbismarck.org or find us on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We thank them for their support. Please join me in prayer as we begin our new week. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time as we continue our exploration of God's story in the scriptures. God bless your reading this week.